0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Father, I pray that you would capture our hearts this morning. There are so many things that are vying for our attention every day. So often, honestly, they... Look kind of shinier and more fun than you. And I pray that you would uh, that you would refresh our hearts this morning and remind us of your love and your grace and your beauty. In your name, we pray. Amen. So we're starting this week um, celebrating what's called Holy Week. Then the history of Christianity is you know. It's a pretty big deal. Christianity is kind of different than a lot of other, well, every other religion in that, uh, you know, our our big guy is Jesus and everybody has their own big guy. And what we celebrate about Jesus, like the, the penultimate, the ultimate thing about his life that we celebrate is not... Uh, just his life and his teachings, it's the ultimate thing is his death, which is kind of a bizarre, kind of weird thing to celebrate, isn't it? I mean, that, that we get so excited about talking about somebody's death, and, and, and that it's kind of gruesome the way it happened. Anybody ever seen The Passion of Christ or ever read the account? It's, it's kind of gruesome. It's kind of gritty. It's kind of dirty. It's kind of bloody. It's kind of gory. It's not very fun to, to think about or to look at, and why would we celebrate something like that? And, it's a lot of us have an issue with that. You know, we have an issue with the whole Jesus dying and the way that he died, the whole crucifixion thing. It seems uh, to our modern American mindset, it seems uh, it seems gory. It seems uh, it seems a little bit over the top. It seems gruesome. It seems uh, disturbing. It's messy. It's upsetting. It's morbid. Uh, why should we celebrate a man who came and died and died in a death that is gory and messy? A lot of us have issues with the whole, the whole issue surrounding the crucifixion itself. Like, was it necessary? You know, because some of us think, like, if Jesus, you know, if God wanted to forgive us, you know, if, if there is this whole, uh, depending on where you come from and what your background is, kind of what you think about the deal, if you kind of think, like, you know, if, if there is a, a sin problem, a, a problem between me and God, well, you know, why couldn't He just, like, forgive me? Why couldn't He just say, I don't worry about it? You know, like I do with my friends or my buddies or my wife or my girlfriend or whatever. Why couldn't He just say, hey, we're okay and let's move on? Why would there have to be, like, a necessity that He would send His son? You guys, like, hear this? Like, how, how weird it would sound to somebody from the outside? Why would it be necessary that He would send His son? to die for us and die in a way that was so gruesome and ugly and dirty. Why couldn't he just say, don't worry about it? It's been called by some people cosmic child abuse that God would send his son to earth in order to suffer a terrible, morbid, ugly, dirty, bloody death and suffer for our sake. Some people call it cosmic child abuse. Why is it necessary? Well, what we're going to be looking at this morning is what if the problem that he had to take care of wasn't just a problem on his end? So so we think, like, uh, God God had a problem with us, like, there was maybe a sin problem, and so, like, why couldn't he just say, hey, I forgive you, and kind of move on? Why is this whole, you know, death, and cross, and scourging, and bloody, and spears, and thing, why why is all that kind of deal necessary? It seems kind of dramatic, and over the top, and morbid. What if the problem was more than just, like, God saying, hey, don't worry about it? What if there was a problem that was intrinsically wrong with us? something that had to be taken care of. Not just on his end where he says, hey, don't worry about it, but something on our end where, where something inside us had to be taken care of and clean. And for that, to, to kind of set the stage for that, before we run into the, the, the cross and the picture of that, we got to start back as I often do and we often do here at Doc. So we have to start back at the very beginning. Can I steal your water? I left mine in the back. Somebody here uh, told me that uh, they have a a water drinking game while I'm while I'm speaking, and they see if they can finish their water before I finish mine. It's like a little race they have before they, before I get to the end of the of the message. If you're first time here, I, I drink a lot of water in the message because whatnot. Um, so at the very beginning, the very, very beginning, God creates the world, right? Are you familiar with the story? Maybe you're not. God creates the world. Six days, sixth day he creates man, sort of the ultimate like top of the line of earth, right? Like he is the ultimate of creation. He creates man on earth and he puts man in charge. And then not only that, but he he it tells us in the very beginning in Genesis 2 how he, he created man and then he said, All right. Uh, Adam, you're here in the garden. I built this nice, beautiful garden around you. It's lush, it's tropical. You know, there's pineapples growing off the tree. You just pick them and eat them. I don't know how Adam ate a pineapple because it's got all that prickly stuff on the outside. So I don't know what he did. Maybe he fashioned a tool. I don't know how he did that. Maybe he was just... A man and just bit right into it. I don't know, but you know he's picking he's picking apples and grapes and whatever deal. And, he, and he's got a job. He's over all of creation. He tells him like, go and subdue the earth and name all the animals. And he, he says, oh, by the way, while you're naming all the animals, I'm gonna put you in charge. I want you to find somebody that can be your helper, to be your mate, somebody that can be your your partner in life. And so like all everybody comes across the rhinoceroses and the giraffeses and the hippopotamuses and the dogs and cats and rats and, you know, all the things that comes across and he's naming them. And he, each time he sees them, he's like, maybe he thinks, oh, that's cool, God, you did that. That's cool. You know, that's a cool animal. Oh, that's a weird neck. And, wow, this thing swims underwater. And he sees all the deals. But but he, every single one he comes by is like, yeah, like, you know, that's cute and all, but that's not my mate, right? I mean, no matter how much I love a dog. Anybody dog people? Dog people? Anybody cat people? You can even raise your hand. Cat people. They, they don't make anybody a dog and cat person? Really, I didn't know they got along together. But anyway, so I didn't know that was possible. Was like I pull for Clemson and Carolina. I didn't know that was possible. But you know, some some of you say you do. But I know you're either not a real fan or. Yeah, there's a mental imbalance if you pull for both. Anyway, so, so he, each one comes across and he's like, yeah, that's cute, that's cool, but that's not the one. So God takes him and he does the first surgery and he puts Adam to sleep and he, he does the surgery where he opens up his side and he pulls out a rib and he takes that rib and he fashions around that rib a Woman. And then he wakes Adam up and says, Hey, I got a little surprise for you. And Adam sees woman. He sees Eve for the first time in all her resplendent beauty. I mean, ladies, you are beautiful. My wife is amazingly beautiful. Can you imagine like what the first woman must have looked like to be the ultimate woman? I mean and, and after all, I mean, Adam, you know, it wouldn't take much quite honestly, if, if he's been looking at raccoons and And sloths and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, a woman appears in the garden like, wow, this is awesome. And it's so awesome. It makes him like, if the artist starts rolling in, like art usually is in guys or usually get going by a woman by like you see a woman you meet a woman and like all of a sudden you want to write poetry and songs and paint things and sculpt things and he sees the first woman and he gives the first bit of poetry or song or something and he says it's a kind of an ancient form we don't see it, but he says, at last this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh you shall be called woman for you came out of man he sees her as the ultimate and they they live in perfect harmony in the garden Both naked, amen, not ashamed, with each other, in the garden, hanging out, they have a job to do, they're doing the deal, and it says that even that God would come down. Can you imagine this? God would come down and would walk with them in the cool of the day. They would take walks together and talk about what's going on in life. Yeah, hey, did you see like do you see like what I made? Did you see that little that, that little roach? You don't know why I made that, do you? I don't know it's gonna be a bit I made a roach and I made you know I don't know what they talked about on the walks, so they had walks and they talked about what's going on in perfect harmony, that naked and not ashamed, over creation, walking with God, it's a beautiful thing. But then maybe you know the story, like this, the serpent comes along in the beginning of chapter three of Genesis, and he says, Eve, because, see, God had created the, the garden, and he put a, a, a tree in the middle. He said, you can eat of anything, but not of this tree. And so Eve, one day, is walking through, and the serpent says, hey, have you seen this tree? Like, it's really good looking. Look at these, look at these, look at these fruit. They're really tasty. You should try some. They're juicy. Now, God doesn't want you to eat it because he's afraid you're going to be like him, and he was like, oh, man, that would be really cool to be like him. He said not to eat it because I'm going to die. And he said, you're not going to surely die. And then she takes the fruit, eats it, and says that Adam was right beside her because Adam was, you know, I don't know, sitting back in the lazy boy, just wanted to watch TV, didn't want to be a part of what's going on in his wife's life. He's kind of being apathetic. And he, he's just sitting there. And so she hands him the fruit, and he takes the fruit, and he eats it. all of a sudden, creation is never the same again. Adam and Eve had been dwelling in the garden together, naked and not ashamed, walking with God, and the next thing that we see is they look at each other and they realize that they're naked. What's the significance of that? The significance is they had known nothing but perfect unity and harmony with each other, so much so that it didn't even matter that they didn't have any clothes on. They were so tight, so, so unified together, and all of a sudden, whenever sin comes into the world and they fall, all of a sudden they realize that they're naked and they fashion for themselves some coverings and then they hear the sound that would just, can you imagine what would happen to your stomach when you hear God, the one who created you? You remember what it was like whenever you did something wrong and you heard your parents come home and you knew like they're gonna see it? Like you broke the lamp or you you did something you weren't supposed to do and you you poked a hole in the wall and you just know like you you hear them drive up and the garage door open or the key turning the lock and you're like, (gasps) oh! Coming, this is gonna be bad. And you think, like, I'm gonna hide. like, it's gonna delay the inevitable, but I I am gonna hide. And so can you imagine what it was like? Dale, is this grossing you out that I'm drinking after you? Mmm. Dale hates germs. So can you imagine what it was like when they're sitting there in the garden and they hear God come down in the garden to take a walk with them? It says they went and they hid and then whenever God, he starts calling them, calling them, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, where are you? And Adam says, we hid from you. And he says, why did you hide? He says, because we were naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? You ever heard a guy say naked this much in a, in a sermon? He said, why, who told you you were naked? And they told him what had happened. And then not only do they tell what happened, but, but Adam says, this woman that you gave me, she listened to the serpent, and she took the fruit, and she ate it. And then the woman says, this, the serpent, the snake came by, and he told me. They start, all of a sudden, not only are they, they realize they're naked and they're hiding themselves from each other, they're hiding themselves from God, but then they start blaming each other. This world was created to live in perfect harmony. We were created to live in perfect harmony with each other. But when sin came, all of a sudden, there was nothing but brokenness. At the very core of our relationships, Adam, who had just sang a song and wrote poetry about how Eve was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, they were, they were gonna be tight. All of a sudden, they're blaming each other. They're hiding each other from each other, and they're hiding each other from God because they're afraid. And so, right off the bat, when sin comes in the world, there's this blame comes in the world, fear comes in the world. They're afraid of each other, they're afraid of God, they're ashamed, they're ashamed of God. Adam says, We we heard you coming, we knew that we were naked, and so we hid. We were ashamed of what we had done. All of a sudden, there's shame between Adam and Eve, there's shame between God and man. All of a sudden you see selfishness comes in, into the picture, right? Because Adam, because God says, what have you done? And, Eve's, and Adam says, this woman you gave me, he's throwing her under the bus. The first time somebody be throwing, would be thrown under the bus. He throws her under the bus. This, this woman that you gave me, she did it. And Eve says, this serpent you gave me, there's selfishness. They're not taking responsibility for what they did. They're pointing the finger at somebody else. And we see, most of all, what comes in the picture is isolation. Man is isolated from other men and they're isolated from God. And every generation, every life that's been lived since then has just been repeat of the same story because we're cut after the same cloth as of our father, father's father, Adam. And so every generation, every life is playing out Genesis 3 over and over again we can't shake it no matter how hard we try. Have you ever been in a bad relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a husband or wife, and, and you know, like, I need to get, like, you have an issue between each other, and you, you, you know, like, I know that I just need to get over this. I know that I should just be able to forgive them. I know I should just be able to say I'm sorry, but I just can't do it. I can't seem to get there, or I say it, but I don't really mean it. I say I'm sorry, but I keep repeating. Like I know I need to stop doing this, but I keep doing it over and over and over again. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? A cycle over and over again that you just can't get out of, and you wonder, like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I shake this? Why can't I get over this? The problem is that we have intrinsically We are intrinsically isolated from each other and we are intrinsically isolated from God because of sin. There's this selfishness between us. There's this blame between us. There's this uh, pride between us that we just can't seem to get over and we just can't seem to get past because you see, Adam and Eve, the reason they were naked and not ashamed and could be with each other and be with God in perfect harmony is because their identity, their value, their meaning in life was found in God. And whenever they sinned and rebelled against Him, all of a sudden their meaning in life, their identity, and their value was cut off from its source. And they were just kind of flailing about, left in darkness. Because of sin, we are isolated from each other. It's the source of every bit of suffering, every every bit of isolation, every bit of brokenness in the history of mankind. Is this isolation that we have from God? This being cut off from our source of what we were created to find our identity and value and meaning in life from? When that is cut off, we're just kind of flailing about, like, like like we're in the dark, just looking for something, like a like somebody who's drowning in the middle of the ocean, and they're just they're just flailing, they're just throwing their hands out looking for something that will help them and in the middle of doing that because you're blind because you're drowning because you're caught drowning in yourself if anybody gets around you they're just collateral damage as you're just trying trying to find some sort of breath finding to find some sort of life trying to find meaning and value and identity and things that are not intrinsically or cannot provide identity and value for us You know, when they they teach you that when you're saving a life, like if you're a lifeguard and you go out to save somebody out of the pool or the ocean, like if they're they're flailing around, like what they need to do is they need to go limp. So you tell them like, relax, go limp. And if they won't, you're supposed to like knock them out because they will take you down in their attempt to stay above the water. And that's what we do to each other all the time in life. We're flailing about like drowning people, and the people around us are collateral damage as we're just trying to find a way to stay afloat. Because this sense of isolation, this sense of separation, though even if we can't put words to it, this sense of isolation from meaning and value and identity that was supposed to be found in God, has created a distance between each other. We're always blaming each other. We're always selfish. We're always shameful. Because if I, I'm afraid, like if you know who I really am, if I open up this door to who, for you to know who I really am, you're going to reject me. And so all the time I'm trying to find identity and value in the people around me and what they think about me, what they say about me, my reputation. Uh, what I'm, that's, that's how it, it goes out into what, what I'm driving, where I live, my zip code. All of that plays into, because I'm just flailing about looking for identity and value from somewhere in places that it, I cannot Happen, And the reason for that is, the source of all this isolation is because we've been cut off from the Father, the one who created us, the one who formed us out of the dust of the earth, caringly and lovingly in his own image, so that we would find our sense of meaning and person and value from him, that he loved us and he cared for us and he created us and that he had a purpose for us, when that is cut off, Everything else messes up. We could not get out of our broken cycles. And we would not get out of our broken cycles. You could not. You can't break your way out of it. It's, it's, it is programmed into your very DNA. Because you can't find identity and value in another person, or in what you drive, or where you live, or your career, or what you know, or how good you are. Can't find it in any of those places. You cannot break the cycle on your own, and even if you could, you wouldn't. Like, like the drowning person who has a lifeguard coming out to save them, and you know in your head, if, you, if you're able to freeze for a moment and talk to the drowning person and say, hey, do you know like this lifeguard is coming to save you and they have the skills and ability to save you from certain death if you will let them save you? You would say, yes, but in the moment I just can't cede control to them. I'm afraid they won't do what they said they're supposed to do, and so I'm flailing and pushing We could not get out, and we would not get out if we could. And so into this mess, into this darkness comes Jesus, who, by the way, for eternity, and we can't get our head around eternity. I was talking with a guy this week about eternity, and like, "So he, he was like, so before creation, like how does that work? Like God existed before creation, and my answer is I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how God could exist for eternity before there was anything. My mind just goes, my little, you know, South Carolina mind just goes, tilt, I can't understand. Doesn't that compute and short circuits back to the beginning? And I think about it again, and short circuits, and goes back to the beginning again. I, I don't know how that works. But somehow, before there was even creation, before there were stars in the heavens, and the earth was formed, and there were fish running through the sea, before the, first, before the first like bang of the big bang, before whatever happened, God existed, and for all eternity, God existed in perfect harmony and perfect unity inside of himself. This is, I don't, can't understand it. I'm going to de- declare that this is true, that we can't get our head around it. Throughout all of eternity, inside God, is called, called the Godhead, it's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons yet in one, one God. I don't know how that works, but throughout all of eternity, existing in perfect harmony and this perfect dance, in this perfect unity. God the Father loving and enjoying His perfections and God the Son and God the Son loving and enjoying His perfections and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit loving and enjoying his perfections and God the Father and just this perfect like dance and harmony throughout all of creation. All of creation, Jesus the Son, had enjoyed the father and enjoyed the spirit and had found his identity and value and perfect harmony inside the Godhead and so in a miracle that we cannot understand he comes down and he takes the form of humanity 100% God and 100% man again I don't know how that worked but he was and he walked on earth and lived this perfect life showing us who the father was Throughout all of eternity, he had enjoyed perfect union and community and unity with the Father. And yet, in this scripture that Charles read for us, we see something terrible, mind shattering, universe shattering happen. God the Son, who had always experienced perfect unity with the Father, as he is flogged, beaten, nailed to a wooden cross, and hung up naked, suffering for everybody to see. Before, before this passage, we see that the Jewish leaders would walk, were, were standing there, and they were mocking him. Oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. You saw the part where they were, where they, where that Charles did read where it says, they said, maybe Elijah will come and save him. They're mocking him. The Roman authorities were mocking him, saying, oh, he said he was the king of the Jews. His own disciples, his boys, the ones that had walked with him close for three years, have split. His followers, he had a big following, who for years had been following him. They're quiet. His own people, the Jewish people that he was born of, and that, and that not only that, but before that, before he became, he became man, he had, he had created them and called them to be his special people. His own people were crying out, saying, crucify him. Jesus, who had known nothing but perfect unity and harmony with the Father all his life, now is isolated from his fellow man. Everybody else has left him. And not only that, but as he's hanging on the cross, in the, sec- in the passage that Charles read, it says that he, sh- he cries out with a loud voice. He's been quiet. We don't have anything recorded that he says since his trial with Pilate, which even there he just says a couple of words. He's been silent the whole time. And all of a sudden, hanging on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the earth grows dark. So the middle of the day, it's noon, and the earth grows dark. It wasn't an eclipse, an eclipse doesn't happen at full moon when, during, during the Passover. It wasn't a storm that came up that suddenly kind of blotted out the sun because they they don't get those kind of sandstorms that block out the sun during the wet season during Passover. Something terrible happens. The earth goes dark because all of a sudden, Jesus, the Son of God, who had experienced nothing but unity with the Father all his life throughout all of eternity all of a sudden, he is isolated and cut off from the Father. And he experiences the isolation that we had known being cut off from the Father. And not only that, but all the, all the uh, justice, all the recompense, all the repayment for all the evil things that everybody had done throughout all the history, or everything that they would do throughout the future, All of it was poured out. The wrath for all of that was poured out upon him. Separated from the Father. Can you imagine what it would be like? Maybe you've been married or you've been with somebody a long time and you know that feeling when they're out of town and you're laying in bed and they're not there, you're used to them being there, it kind of throws you off. Or you go about daily life and they're out of town and it just doesn't feel right. Or maybe you're a mom and you, know, you take that first trip out of town since you've had the kids, you're away from them and just something just doesn't feel right because there's cities miles away from you and you're, even though you're having fun, doing something that just doesn't quite feel right. Can you imagine if you multiply that times infinity what it must have felt like for Jesus? All of a sudden, after knowing nothing but perfect unity with the Father, he is separated and cut off. Isolated from his fellow man, just like we were, and isolated from his father, like we were. Because what was happening on the cross was a great exchange. Last week, we talked about how in the garden, Jesus exchanged our betrayal for his faithfulness. On the cross, Jesus exchanges our isolation. For intimacy with the Father, He puts Himself in our place of isolation and separation—the thing that has caused all sorts of suffering and pain and loneliness throughout all years. Have you ever been in the middle of a group of people and, like, everybody's smiling and laughing, but you feel alone? ever have those moments where you just wonder, like, I wonder if anybody really cares because you just feel like you're cut off from everybody else? That's part of the human condition because we are isolated from each other because we are isolated from the Father. And on the cross, Jesus takes our isolation and he exchanges that for his intimacy that he has experienced with the Father throughout all of eternity. That was the promise throughout the Old Testament for years and years and years. I don't have this on the screen. You can turn there or you can just listen, but Jeremiah verse uh, chapter 31. Verse 33. For this is the covenant, this is, the, this is what he's telling his, the Jews that it was going to happen in the future. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all Know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. The big message of the incarnation, that's Jesus taking flesh of man, the big message of the death of Jesus and the big message of the resurrection of Jesus is that we aren't alone anymore. When, when the, well, the prophecy was made in Isaiah of how Jesus was gonna come to save them, God said you sh- he will be called Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? It means God with us. The separation and the isolation that we had experienced from birth because we would not and we could not break ourselves out of that cycle, that isolation, that he, he has come to unite us to the Father, God with us. And on the cross, On the cross, you know what happened as he was hanging there and he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The world goes dark. (coughs) Excuse me. He dies. Immediately, the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to the bottom. The separation between the holiest of holies and the rest of mankind is broken because we were no longer alone. We are no longer separated. We are no longer left to yourself. You're no longer stuck in your own mess and your own mire. He came and experienced your isolation on your behalf in order to unite you to the Father. You are no longer alone. God is with us. In the incarnation, think about it. We're not just alone, like, metaphysically, but, like, Jesus himself, he came and he became a man. Like, that should encourage us this morning, like, God doesn't, God didn't just leave us as mankind to fend for ourselves or just throw us a lifeline. He came and became a man to show us that he was with us physically. Physically. And then on the cross, he identified and took upon himself our punishment and our isolation and our separation from each other and from God upon himself. And then on the resurrection, new life. At the cross, Jesus exchanges our isolation for intimacy with the Father, I'm going to read Isaiah 53, 1 through 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I think if not, hopefully this will be on the screen. Isaiah 53, 1 through 11. It's a long section. Let's hope you'll just listen to this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he is talking about Jesus now, it's a prophecy. before he would come, hundreds and hundreds of years before he would come. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. as saying that he was just a normal man. He wasn't a special kind of man. He was just a man. He didn't have like angel wings or superpowers. He was just a man. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men. The creator of all man was then despised and rejected by them. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, they didn't want to look at him, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, the nails in the hands, the nails in the feet, and the spear in his side. He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions, for your transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That picture there being healed isn't just about physical well-being. It's about your whole life. It's about being made right. Right. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, that means the people who were alive with him at the time, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. He shall bear their iniquities. By his wounds we were healed. It's disturbing to read the account of Jesus' death. It's disturbing to think about and to see it. But it changes altogether if it was for you. It changes altogether if it's from someone who dove into your muck and your mire and they grabbed you and pulled you to safety. It's gory and it's disturbing unless it's for you. Unless it was motivated out of love for you, to rescue you, to bring you to, out of where you were into, into wholeness and healing and, and unity and intimacy with the Father, unless it, was to, unless it was to cure a problem that was deep within you that you could not find a way out of for your, yourself, unless it was to take you out of something that you had no way, no promise to get out of yourself unless it was for all of that. It's just gory and disturbing and bloody, But if it was for you, what was gruesome becomes beautiful. Why do we as believers celebrate something that is gruesome and ugly? Because it was an act of heroic love for you and for me when we were stuck when we were the ones ourselves crying crucify him, when we were the ones that ran away, when we were the ones that denied him, when we were the ones that did not want anything to do with him, he came and he rescued you. With each lash of the whip, with each bang of the hammer, with each passing moment of pain and agony upon the cross, Why does it say, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied? Because scripture tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? So that you and I could be rescued and united to the Father. So our isolation could be destroyed and we would experience intimacy love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all if it was for you then the gruesome becomes beautiful but it won't be beautiful Until you realize how isolated and lost you were without him. And you see his love that motivated him to endure it all, to unite us to the Father. Father, I pray this morning that we would see afresh and anew your love for us that the gruesome and the bloody and the ugly and the painful that we see in the cross would become beautiful to us as we see that you did it for love, you did it to rescue us, you did it to bring us back to intimacy with the Father, that we were cut off, we were isolated from each other, we were isolated from you, and only by your sacrifice, only by you coming, only by you calling, only by you rescuing us was there any hope for us to come out. And you did it. You did it for love. At the cross. At the cross. Our isolation was exchanged for intimacy with the Father. Pray you'd help make us be thankful for that this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray.